our final podcast of the series, Positive Psychology Perspective, Building Resilience and Maximising Your Energy, provides brain hacking techniques to accurately analyse your thoughts, feelings and subconscious responses, manage your worries and regain control when you feel overwhelmed. Leadership consultant Peter Nolan of Coaching Mindsets discusses a positive psychology approach to well-being, placing the emphasis on not just surviving, but thriving. Peter believes that every person has the capacity to live the life they choose. He is driven by the desire to support people in achieving their goals, overcoming their limiting beliefs, and contributing meaningfully to teams and communities. For over 15 years, Peter has supported individuals and businesses in achieving their goals. His diverse experience and unique skills provide him with the ability to ask insightful and challenging questions. A natural innovator and persuasive speaker, Peter improvises and shapes creative solutions with ease. He has a track record of building collaborative teams, guiding strategic partnerships and delivering effective and sustainable solutions in diverse markets. It's good to be here, first of all, and it's good to be uh, speaking on a subject that it's uh, very close to my heart, personally and professionally. So let me just share with you over the next 30 minutes uh, some of my thoughts, some of my experiences, and I'm going to give you three takeaways um, for you to uh, use and adopt in your own uh, personal and professional lives. So they will be around your openness to experiences and how open are you. Uh, they will be around to learn your ABCs and to see how good you are in your ABCs. And probably the most difficult piece of all, how to emol your contortions. Yep, that's what I said, how to emol your contortions. And that's a, a play, as you know, in the words, and there's an obvious reason for that. So probably the help or the starting point to help us today would be around actually, you know, what is resilience? Because it's something, of course, that we, we all know that we want, and it's high in the qualities of things that we want and we admire in others, particularly when we see it, we recognize it. Um, we long to have resilience in ourselves. We want to be spoken of, of someone who has resilience and is resilient. And of course, I think the thing that most of us see, particularly uh, in stages of life as we go through, I'm 54 with, with I was going to say three, three children, but they're three adults, 20 to 25. And what we hope in all our children that they will be resilient. So how do we do that? And, and, and building resilience, of course, it's sort of at the heart of a truly fulfilled life because without it, we're going to really struggle. So quick definition of resilience, the one that I've chosen for today is, is, is the ability to recover or adjust easily from misfortune or change. So it's pretty much how do you handle setbacks? How do you cope with the stuff that's thrown at you? So there's good news and there's bad news. So the bad news is shit happens. That's the real bad news. And sometimes it happens a lot. And sometimes there's not a lot we can do about it, but we have to deal with it. The good news is that resilience isn't fixed. Resilience is one of those things that we can work at, that we can get better at, and it's a skill that we can learn. So that is the good news. So it's not a fixed muscle. We can draw on it when we need it. We can start to look at what's our process, what's our, what's our model, what's our system for building resilience. So, so let's have a look at it. So what I wanted to go was, was look at sort of some of the great thinkers in this space and some of the great theorists who've looked at resilience. So I went for Ian Dowie. And, and for anyone that hasn't ever heard of Ian Dowie, who's who he is, he was an ex-Northern Ireland footballer, and he was a manager of Crystal Palace uh, in the uh, championship in the UK at the time. And he famously coined the phrase bounce-back ability. And uh, he was one of the few, I would suggest, uh, soccer manager players to ever have a word included in the English language. Uh, the other one most famous, he was probably Alex Ferguson, and uh, he, he, he coined the phrase um, <laughs> squeaky bone time. So <clears throat> resilience and, and bounce-back ability is what, is what Ian Dowie referred to 
when he was working with Crystal Palace at the time, when he brought them from relegation to promotion in six months' time. So the challenge is, what's the type of resilience we're looking at? What does that mean, this idea of bounce-back ability? And, and there's just two types. You know, there's rebound resilience, which is because we have to bounce back from something, and then there's robust resilience because we want to actually face the challenges. So, so let's have a look at this in terms of what's the, the things that life throws at us. So the challenge is that, unfortunately, you know, if we want to give God a laugh, we tell him our plans. Because with the best laid plans of mice and men, life goes its own direction and does its own thing to us. And, of course, that brings us huge challenges. And along the way, there's been um, lots of people have looked at, you know, how, how do we assess those challenges? And, and uh, Holmes and Rao did a stress scale so many years ago. And I'm just going to launch a poll, if we can now, just to give you sort of a sense of, you know, what's the sort of stress is going on in your life right now? Obviously, an anonymous poll, but just a view of, of you know, what's, what's happening for you, what that might be, you know, what have you experienced so far? What's the, the levels of, of, of challenges you've had to deal with? And uh, just I'd be curious to see, you know, first of all, in terms of, of, of COVID, first of all, on a scale of one to 10, how anxious were you about getting COVID? You know, were you not anxious at all? Had you mixed feelings or were you extremely anxious? Just a check on in terms of, you know, how did you feel about it? Because one of the things we've all noticed amongst our friends and our circles is people respond differently to it. And so it's uh, interesting just to see just, just what, your, what your initial response to this most recent um, challenge has been to us all. What has it been? So just curious to see what, you, uh, what you're coming up with, yeah? And there's some great answers coming in, of course, across the range. And what's interesting, <laughs> like all bell curves, right smack in the middle, the most, the most popular score, the highest score is obviously people had mixed feelings about it. But you can also see that some people were extremely anxious and uh, some people had very little anxiety at all. And so the obviously the next question would be, how many of you have ever been diagnosed with, with COVID-19 up to now? So again, just looking at the, at the feedback on that, we're looking at you know almost 90% of people here on the call haven't, I think final numbers are looking at about 85, haven't actually had COVID. So it's interesting how much we have maybe been concerned about something that's going to happen to us but hasn't happened. So again, they're just an interesting, I suppose, self-check on where do you, where do you sit on that whole anxiety space? And what are the things that worry you about COVID? What might it be? Is it the existential piece that actually this is going to get me? Is it about I just don't want it because it'll be uncomfortable? So where does your stress level in there? Or do you see this look at something that's going around and we might get it? And then of course if we bring that to a bigger, broader picture in life, you know, how many how many of you have experienced these sort of life stress events? So there's a third poll in there, and it's really interesting just to see, you know, what are the what are the, the things that you've that you've been hit by? And of course, the older you get, typically, the more of those challenges you, you'll, you'll see in your life. And as you can see, you know, obviously I've, I've listed sort of what we class as the key life stress events. And, you know, right at the very top, you will see that, you know, the things like, you know, death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation, uh, thankfully detention in jail, we've had nobody voting for that, and death of a close family member, major illness or personal illness. And then obviously things, positive thing would be marriage, uh, and a not so positive thing I've been fired at work. So it's interesting, you know, death has been the one that's clearly by a long shot the biggest uh, score coming back in. You know, 37% of you people here today have experienced the death of somebody really close to us. And so the challenge is, you know, what are the things that stress us? What do we need to be resilient with? And how do we deal with those things? And uh, one of my favorite gurus is, is Eckhart Tolle, and he, he speaks about that you know, how, how challenging it is to accept whatever the present moment contains. How can we just accept it as if we chose it? So, of course, that's fine words, but really hard to do. So how do we see this in an existential way? 
Because the challenge is, these things are normal things that happen in life. There can't be death, if we think about it, without new life. So death is a normal part of, of what we're going to experience in life. But how do we manage that? Carl Rogers spoke a lot around this idea of, of, of you can only have a rich, full life if you're open to all the experiences, if you're open to everything that's going to happen to you. So, for example, he said you can't have joy without pain because if there was no pain, how would we know what joy was? We can't have heartbreak without love because, again, we wouldn't know what love was. We wouldn't have experienced the pain. Fear without courage. Freudian pain or gain. And so the challenge for us in life, first of all, is are we open to the experience in life? Are we open to the fact that we are going to go through difficult challenges? And, that, and that's not easy. And of course, there's going to be suffering in that. There's going to be difficulty. It's going to be painful. But they're normal parts of life. That's part of being a member of the human race. That's sort of the contract we sign up for when we become a member of the human race, that there is going to be suffering and, and there is going to be death. And in the end, in my experiences of life, and I'll share those with you, the most painful things we struggle with are loss. And that can be loss particularly of human life. It can be loss of financial security. It can be loss of loved ones. It can be loss of identity, who we are, who we, what we stand for. It can be loss of roles in our, in our professional life. And how do we manage to deal with all of those things? And in the end, of course, what we do know for sure is those moments do pass. But it's really challenging. And so one of the reasons why I suppose I'm particularly passionate about resilience is my life took a turn back in, in 2005 um, when I lost my wife at 37 years of age to cancer. We had at the time a perfect life in many ways. Uh, we had a thriving business. Uh, we employed 30 people. Uh, we were, at that stage, we'd become financially secure. Uh, we had a business we both were passionate about. We both worked in the business. And we three uh, beautiful children. So in many ways, we had the perfect setup, the perfect life. And out of the blue, my wife was diagnosed with, with melanoma, skin cancer. And less than two years later, she was dead. A perfectly fit, healthy woman when she was diagnosed. And of course, cancer did what cancer does. And I remember at the time speaking to her consultant and saying, look, you know, what can we do? Where can we travel to? What countries can we go to to find the cure? And whatever it costs, I remember looking at a very healthy bank balance and a very healthy net worth saying, look, whatever it is, I'll trade it. Nothing else matters more than this. What would it be? And of course, the answer was, unfortunately, that's really the answer. We can't do anything for you. We can't do anything for your wife. You know, we've, we've sent her files to the, to the Mayo Clinic, we've sent her files to the best place and there's nothing we can do. And it, it taught me a lot about life, about my own challenges, but I watched my own wife at 37 face her own mortality and her own death and her own struggle with facing into that. I learned a lot about denial, how lots of times we go into denial to not accept what's going on for us because we can't handle it because it's just too difficult. So really, really challenging to, to be in that space and to watch someone else that you can't help, you can't, all you could do, I, I, I held my wife while she had her last breath. What a moment that nothing prepares you for. Nothing gives you the experience of being in that space. And what book do you read that's going to tell you how to do this? As, she, as she's desperately trying to hold on to life. What moment, you know, treat, it helps you to prepare for three days before she dies when she brings her children in individually to say goodbye to them? Six, eight, and ten. How do you deal with that? What do you do? What skills do you draw? And of course, you don't know what to do. That's part of the challenge. It's messy. It's difficult. It's 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 tough. 
And little did I know at that time, but that was only the start of the journey. Because as anyone here has been through grief, they'll understand that grief is a complex and a difficult journey. And it doesn't go in straight lines. You know, we go through the anger shock denial piece. We go through the piece of the anger, why me? Why her? Why us? Why our family? We go through the shock of it as in, I can't believe this has happened. And then we go into a, st- a stage of denial where we want to try and bury it. I remember at the time I, went, I tried to go back to work and I tried to work even harder. And of course, the more I did of that, the more I realized how empty work was. And that the, the driver for work, in fact, was really the family we, we'd set up. And now the motivation, I was never motivated by money. But now the only motivation seemed to be was to make more money and it wasn't doing anything for me. And I remember thinking at night, you know, yeah, of, of, of financial security, of, of plenty to survive and to thrive on, but I can't hug that asleep at night when I want to go to sleep at night. And I remember crying my eyes out for days on end. I used to hate bank holiday weekends. I used to hate them, particularly when May and June came together. Really, really difficult because what did that mean? It meant you'd one extra day at home to be on your own, that you couldn't go back to work and get buried in something, get lost in something. So really, really challenging. And of course, then the piece that I struggled with was how do I manage my, my children's grief? How do I deal with this? And again, no, no, no book written on that. How do I deal with that? Really, really challenging. And they handled their grief in different ways. At six, eight, and ten, they 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 were they were only processing. And what was interesting for me and challenging was as each of them came through their teenage years, the grief reappeared. And at various stages, as they came to understand it, they had to try and deal with it. And of course, as they tried to deal with it, and part of their anger have a guess who they turned their anger towards. Of course, they turned their anger to the only person that could, to their dad. Why didn't you tell us more? Why didn't we do this? Why didn't I know this? What happened? Etc. And of course, the pain of, of losing the one or two of my children were, were two girls. So it's really difficult as a man, I have found, to be a parent, a, sol- a single parent to, to two girls. Really difficult. The normal things that you think about, hairs and everything else that goes with it, you've got to get involved in. It's really, really challenging. So, so the piece around, you know, resilience is how do we manage those big moments in life? How do we face those crisis moments? How do we, do, do we, do we get to the bottom of that in a way that we can cope? What, what do we do? It's bloody tough. Part of that is, and this is of course with the hindsight of, of 16 years looking back and, and dealing with the stuff that's gone on, is to see it for what it is, is to be able to step out of it and go, it's part of life. And it's interesting how I see, see death now in a different way. When I see death of people, perhaps maybe at an older age, and my mother, 93, recently had to put her into a nursing home and no longer able to care for her. But understanding that death is a normal part of life. Can we be resilient to that? And can we, expect, can we accept that that is part of life, that we have a full life? What was more challenging was my wife was, she was taken with a third of her life lived, we might say. So how do we manage that? How, how open are we to those experiences? So the first thing I want to say to you today is, how open are you? To the experiences of all those difficult things we talk about in the poll, all of those things in life that, if we look at sort of even the big five personality characteristics, openness to experiences right in there. How can we manage our own feelings, our own emotions, our own space in, in that moment to, to, to deal with those challenges and to accept what happens because it's happened and there's nothing we can do about it. And we have to drive on. What's interesting for me was five years later, I lost my business, a business we had for 20 years that had been extremely successful for 18 years. And overnight in the crisis of 2008, the tap was turned off. We went from a turnover of 12 million to one in less than 18 months. So now I was hit with a second loss. 
So the first loss was, was the, the most difficult human life. And the second loss now was twofold. It was financial security and it was identity. Because if you've been a business owner for 20 years, particularly in the local area, that becomes who you are. So how do we deal with that? How do we handle that? And so that started my journey into counseling and psychotherapy and into qualifying in that space, but ultimately my personal journey through counseling. And so the personal journey through counseling brought me in touch with a, uh, probably the guy I would say in many ways who has helped me shape me and, and, and helped me to survive because through that, those difficult things, I was trying to deal with all that loss. And he helped me over time, and I'm talking about a long period of time, to understand loss and to understand how, how tough it is. And what I hadn't understood at the time when I started on that journey was that resilience also was deeper for me. I also am adopted back in the 60s, 1966 to be exact. And so recently when the whole mother and baby homes things was coming through, that brought so much more stuff back up for me again. So he helped me to understand that loss was ingrained in me. Loss was deep. Loss came from somewhere further back, an unconscious place. But that every other loss that I experienced since then, including the death of my wife, including the loss of my business, including the loss of my identity, all fed into that unconscious pain and unconscious hole that I was trying to fill. So the challenge has been to deal with all that sense of loss and to coin uh, Ian Dowie's phrase, how is my bounce back ability? Well, I think it's been really tough. My counsellor said to me one day, uh, after many years, said to me, you're probably the most resilient person I know. And I was a bit taken back. What do you mean? He said, just look at everything you've dealt with. And on top of the dealing with that, I also had to deal with huge financial challenges because when my business failed, all our investments failed with it. So we went from being in a very positive space to being in a negative space. So over time, we had huge challenges, including protecting our family home against institutional stuff, all sorts of things that were all of a sudden thrown at me. What was interesting for me was how I managed to tap into that inner resolve and how I start saying, no, I'm not going to accept this, how I'm going to fight certain things, how I know ultimately, and this is where he really helped me, what made me successful in the first place, draw on that inner resource. If you were successful in 18 years of business, there's something in there. You clearly were able to do something. It also helped me to understand what I was passionate about. And I found coaching and I found uh, psychotherapy. And I particularly had a passion for coaching in business and coaching people and teams and organizations. So it helped me to realign actually with what was really important to me, my family, the protection and the rearing of my children, and the second piece, to help others, which I realized actually in my own business for 18 years, I had been coaching all along, but I hadn't had language on it. So he helped me as well to understand what, what, what's the challenges and how life inflicts all these setbacks on us, but ultimately, you know, what do we do? Well, we've, we've, we've got to use our optimism. We've got to see how we look at it differently. We've got to also look at the things that we know of all the things that happen to us. In the end, what happens to your inner circle is going to hurt you more than anything. You can drop all sorts of stuff. But if you drop the, the big ones, they're the ones that are really struggling. They're the ones that are really hurt. And somewhere in there, you've got to try and find balance. You've got to try and find balance of what, are you, what have you got in life? Because sometimes the problems we have are sort of first world problems. That we think, oh, it's, it's awful. You know, it's terrible. God, we, we can't go out at the minute. We'll have to get a takeaway. Okay, that's pretty tough. And trust me, I'm a strong extrovert. I'm missing going out more than anybody. But so much of it is, is we, we put a view on it. Oh, poor me, poor me. And yet the truth is the struggles that we've come through are actually the things that shape us. They're the things that we look back at. And we look at the things, actually, that's where I get my strength from. And if I've got through that struggle, 
And I assure you, everyone here in this session today has some struggles you've had to deal with. If you tap into that, what have you overcome up to now? What's been the biggest challenge you've had to deal with? You'll find it. And you'll realize, actually, hold on a second, yeah, there's far more resilience in me than, than I think there is. What is it? And of course, the challenge is, is always our choice. How do, we, how do we choose to respond? How are we going to deal with that? Because there is a piece of us can sit with that story for the rest of our lives and go, well, that's just it. That's just who I am. And that's the story. And I can play that story out for the rest of my life. I can be the victim in that space. I, there's three strong principles that I, I, I have encountered along the way. And the principles of responsibility, choice, and accountability. And the challenge is that we all have choice. We all have that choice to choose our response in any given situation. But once we accept that we've got choice, then we have to take responsibility and accountability for what we do. We can't outsource that to somebody else. We have to own that. So when I work with teams or individuals, I'll start from the inside out and say, what about you? What can you do here? You know, every time we point a finger at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at us. What's in my circle of control? What can I do? And, and resilience is about knowing that, that you're the one who has the power to do that. You're the one who's got to make that decision. You're the one that's got to pick yourself up off the floor. Stop waiting for somebody else. And I love Viktor Frankl's piece when he, when, he, when he talked about this idea that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our, our, our ability to choose our response. That's our greatest freedom. Our greatest freedom is our ability to choose. They can take everything from us, but they can't take that ability. And of course, when we choose, we can choose to be a victim. Do we want to be a victim? We want to go back with that learned helplessness that Seligman talks about. Do we want to be the hoover in the room, in the team, in the family? Do we want to suck the bloody life out of everyone that comes near us with a sad story? Or do we want to be the radiator? Do we want to be the one that people want to get around and say, hey, this is the person who's going to radiate resilience, who's going to radiate positivity? Because going back to it, it's a human choice. Now, we, we've all got these situations in every day of our lives, the stimulus that comes in, the difficult situations. Sometimes we respond badly. Sometimes we respond emotionally. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But remember, always in there, we've got the opportunity to press the pause, the opportunity to go, hold on a minute. I can choose how I'm going to deal with this. I can choose my response. And Epictus' great quote was, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that really matters. He knew a lot, that fellow, back in the old days. And how about what's the weather you're going to carry? How are you going to show up today? Because is it based on everyone else's moods and feelings around you? Or are you carrying your own weather? Are you bringing your own stuff with you? Are you dealing proactively with what's happening? Are you choosing to respond differently? It's going to pause for effect. But also for you to think about it. Where are you? What umbrella are you carrying around you? Is it that one or is it a big black umbrella that you carry with you every day because so many things have happened to you? You know that question we ask ourselves at times, why me? Why not me? It's just life. Life throws that stuff at us. We want life to go on straight lines. It doesn't. It's really challenging. And when it does, we've got to choose how proactive we're going to be in that response or if we're going to be reactive. What are we going to do? We know for sure that our thoughts will affect you know, our feelings, our, our behaviours, and all that will come through, everything from our thoughts. What I'm going to encourage you is to use your ABCs, to use a model that, that, that Seligman came up with some years ago, which is around the A being the adversity. How do we handle that negative event, that activating event? What do we do with it? See it for what it is. 
What's the belief I have about that event? How can I manage that? How can I look at that? What did I believe? What was my system telling me? What's my paradigm? And what's the consequences of me following on from that? What do I do? So it's a very simple model if you could take away, an ABC model. What's the impact of this having on me? And can I step back? Can I step back to see what's the mindset that's actually driving my response? Before I look at the behavior, more importantly, go right back to the mindset. What's the belief system in here? And then can I go and dispute that? Can I dispute the thoughts that I'm having? Can I challenge the ants in my head, the automatic negative thoughts? Can I ask myself, what am I going to say yes to? And what am I going to say no to? Two great questions. What am I going to say yes to and no to? Where am I going to focus my attention and energy? What's my language going to be? What am I going to say to myself? I catch myself every day with all that negative thoughts. 66,000 thoughts in a day. For most of us, 66% of those thoughts are negative. How can we flip that? Again, we've got control on that. You know those two languages we speak? Typically English. Perhaps you have more languages than that, but most of us have two languages, English and the language we speak to ourselves. Much more powerful. Much more. And then how can we challenge the evidence of what's happening? How can we look for alternatives? How can we see what the implications of our thinking is? And is it useful? So the ABCs is a great model for you to think about what do we do? How can I challenge what's going on? How can I look at my circle of influence? How can I decide what's within my circle of influence and what's without? Such a simple model. Two circles, we're all capable of drawing them. Use them with your teams and your organizations. Eckhart Tolle's famous thought, worry pretends to be necessary, but serves no useful purpose. An old friend of my father who's long since dead used to say, there's only two things you should do if you're worrying about something. One is do something about it. And two, stop worrying about it if you can't do anything about it. And it's such old logical advice that makes so much sense. And so that's, our, that's the rational piece. How do we deal with all that, that stuff that comes at us? And how do we manage failure? How do we manage failure? How do we deal with this idea of, of you know, a boat is safest in the harbour? But that's not doing very much, is it? It's not going far. And a lovely quote I picked up in the last few days is, the failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. How can we deal with failure and not see it as being the end of everything we've dealt with? And so the last piece I want to just leave with you before we go is how do we manage the emotions? How do we control the emotions, those unruly, difficult, challenging emotions that come at us when we're feeling in a bad way? How do we, how do we check in with ourselves? How do we make sure we don't go into an emotional hijack? How do we do that? Really, really challenging. What, what's that like for us? Really challenging. And part of that is understanding ourselves and understanding what's the trigger to our emotions. What drives us mad? What are the things that send us off? Based on everything I've told you today, what do you think my triggers are? I can promise you rejection is a massive trigger for me. Massive. If I smell, hint, sniff rejection, I can get it. It absolutely sends me, sends me off. Because why? Because I'm, I was born with rejection. I was rejected at the very earliest age. I was rejected by my wife dying, not deliberately. I was rejected through the failure of my business. Really challenging. And so when I get a sense of even impending rejection, or sometimes I'll create rejection where there's none, that's my trigger. And I have to have massive conversations with myself around what am I doing. So it's about understanding your emotions and how do you express those emotions that you don't get emotional hijacks. So how do you emote your controlations in the moment of challenge? Two great questions to ask yourself. What's the first thing I nearly always do when I'm stressed? Great way of understanding what you do, what your triggers are. And the second great question is, what is the thing I rarely do when I'm stressed? 
So I've had to do a lot of catching myself when I'm stressed and actually go and sit with the difficult emotion. Sit with that emotion that's going on from the neck down, that's going on in your body. What's that like? Really, really challenging, really difficult. And how much, of course, for some of us, we don't want to engage with that emotion. We don't want to deal with it. We go into denial. We go into avoidance. <laughs> I remember my counselor one day saying to me, write me a list for the next session of all the things you're avoiding. And I gave him the list the next day. And then he turned the list upside down and said, yeah, what's, what's on the bottom is what you're really, really avoiding. And I'm like, oh, he's right. He's right. The thing I'm avoiding most was the last thing I wanted to put on the list. So how do we, how do we deal with those emotions? How do we actively engage with them? How do we engage with what's in our circle of influence? How do we bring our problem-solving mind to it? And the last piece I'm going to just share with you from today, I hope you found it useful. I've, I've shared with you three thoughts. One is the openness to experience, this idea that we're open to life experiences, all of life. And that means all of it, everything, the good stuff and the bad stuff. It can't just be all the good stuff, even though that's what we wish for. The ABCs, how we challenge the, the thoughts that come on, that happen in our mind, the adversity the activated thought, the beliefs and the consequences of that. Can we challenge our thinking? And the third thing I've asked you to think about is what's your emotional triggers? How do you cope with difficult stuff? Have you a strategy for that? Have you considered that? Have you spent time thinking about that? And just the last piece to think about before we go is this idea that men and women handle stress differently. That's just the biological part of how we do. Men are typically much more action-orientated. They want to deal with the problem. Typically, don't let it leak into other areas of your life. Just say, let's deal with it. Let's get on with it. And quite often, don't touch the emotional pieces. Just touch the practical pieces. Typically, want to solve problems. Want to deal with the problem. Let's solve it. Even when they're not asked to solve the problem, typically that happens. Women deal with it very differently. They do what I call tend and befriend. They're much more likely to think about it, much more likely to talk about it, much more likely to seek support about it from their, their, their close circle of friends. And they get that bonding oxytocin piece that goes on by having a good network around them. The challenge for both the course is slightly different. For men, we need them to talk a lot more about the problems, much more emotionally available. To women, sometimes we need them to stop ruminating and actually sometimes we need them to actually fix the problem. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out Legal Island's range of mental health and wellbeing e-learning training courses for all your employees. Providing all employees with mental health and well-being training during employment or shortly after starting their employment and with regular refreshers updates throughout this time can not only provide a productive but a safe workplace for everyone. Visit www.legal-island.ie forward slash wellbeing for more information or you can find the link in the description below.